Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, a podcast brought to you by Citizens Count and the Grant State News Collaborative. This is a podcast about what's going on in the New Hampshire legislature that probably hasn't made the news, but could still impact you. We'll give you the unbiased facts, pros and cons, and highlight opportunities for you to get involved and make your voice heard. If you're curious about the name, well, that's what legislators get paid in New Hampshire. You can check out our mini episode on that. I'm Mike Dunbar, the content editor for Citizens Count. And I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. So, you know, Anna, many Grant Staters, including your humble host, have tried brewing their own beer or making wine at home. It's fun, tasty, less expensive than buying it from a brewery or a vineyard. A natural progression for these backyard brewmasters might be to graduate to making hard liquor like whiskey or brandy, but this is where it gets a little more complicated, right? Yes, you are correct. So even though prohibition is long behind us and the whole rum running thing has turned into NASCAR and we thought we'd all move on, liquor distilled. Killing, not legal at the state or federal level. And this is an issue that has come up a few times in New Hampshire. This is not the first bill, but the bill this year, HB 416, it's a 2021 House bill that would change that. All right. So you're telling me my moonshining dreams might not be dead after all. This is good. All right. So tell us a little bit about what's in the bill. HB 416 is prime sponsored by Rep. Scott Wallace, and it adds liquor produced from beer or wine to the current law that allows home brewing and wine making. So you would have to be 21 years or older, just like, you know, anyone else to drink alcohol. You got to be old enough to make it as well. It's only for personal or family use. So you can't be selling your hooch off your back porch. So the current law as well also limits home brewing of beer and wine to 100 gallons a year if you're a single person or 200 gallons a year if two plus people are brewing in a household and they would use those same limits for hard alcohol, which I just have to throw out there. I did a little research. Now, I admit I know close to nothing about the actual mechanics of home brewing and and wine making and liquor making in terms of like how much quantity is normal. But I did some math and 200 gallons of wine. So let's say that like you and your husband are brewing some wine at home, 200 gallons a year. That's about a thousand bottles, which is about a (laughs) bottle and a half a day per person. So footnote there that if, if you want to brew your own, uh, brew your own brew in New Hampshire, you can definitely get sauced. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So distilled alcohol is obviously stronger than wine or beer. So even as I'm making jokes about, you know, how drunk you can get with the current home brewing laws, it's important to note that th- there's really something different when it comes to distilling liquor as well. So and I had to learn about this. So how about you educate me? How is this different than home brewing? Sure. So, you know, even though uh, both processes result in the creation of alcohol, there's definitely a lot more that goes into distilling hard liquor than there is to making beer. So, and what a lot of people don't know is that the first step in distilling is actually to create what is essentially a beer or a wine Um, in distilling. It's often referred to as the mash. So then the liquid is heated in a still and that extracts the alcohol from it, resulting in a more potent alcoholic beverage, what we think of as moonshine, fortified wine, whatever it is you're making. Um, But Anna, there's one more hurdle that uh, proponents for home distilling are facing, right? Yes. It's not just a more complicated process. It's also prohibited by Uncle Sam. So federal law prohibits home distilling, whereas they do allow home brewing and winemaking. And so if this bill passes, New Hampshire law would be conflicting with 
the federal law. Yeah, and that seems like it'd be an issue, right? I mean, at first blush, yes. The supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution basically says that federal law trumps state law. But New Hampshire and other states also have a history of kind of bucking the federal government on some issues. So famous ones obviously are gay marriage and marijuana legalization. So, you know, these these legal changes sometimes can help change the tide, can help motivate the federal government to change their law, or it just sets up the state to be ready when the law does change. And actually, one lesser known issue that I think is really interesting that I forgot about from my high school history class, the women's right to vote actually also started out with states changing laws as opposed Mm. to the federal government. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, speaking of the feds, Anna, a cynic might say that the biggest problem here has to do with taxes. So federal government receives significantly more tax revenue from a bottle of liquor than, say, a six-pack of beer. Uh, And since you can't sell homemade alcohol, the federal government could stand to lose some serious money if people started making their own liquor at home rather than buying it from the liquor store, which, you know, might just make that change uh, on the federal level less likely. I always forget that it's not just the state of New Hampshire that loves liquor taxes. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Ultimately, there are still some good arguments for passing this bill, right? Right. Those in favor of hobby distilling in New Hampshire see a bright future. Just look at what happened with craft beer since homebrewing was legalized. So in 1978, Jimmy Carter signed a federal bill, H.R. 1337, which legalized homebrewing on the federal level for the first time since Prohibition, which... Footnote, I had no idea that the federal government was still so closed down on people making their own alcohol all the way until the late 1970s. So that's interesting. And back then there were just 89 American breweries. But legaling this at the, legalizing this at the federal level really opened up now over 8,000 American breweries. So that's a crazy growth. Could we see something happen like that with craft distilling? So in 2005, there were just 50 craft distilleries in the U.S. Some states have opened up little bits of home distilling. The industry is growing. And so now there's more than 2,000 craft distilleries. So that also begs the question, though, if it's already growing and it's still illegal at the federal level, maybe we should just bring this out into the light. I mean, it's a similar question you get with a lot of other illegal things. The idea is, all right, it, we can't completely stop it from happening. So if we legalize it, if we bring it out into the open, it's going to be easier to keep an eye on it and keep it safe. Um, but but safety, like I said, is a little tricky with craft distilling. It's not just like, you know, when you put some wine in a bottle somewhere and let it turn into vinegar. There are all these complex processes. So Mike, tell tell me about these safety drawbacks. Right. So unlike beer and winemaking, the consequences for incorrectly distilling liquor can be deadly. Uh, The distillation process brings alcohol vapor and heat in the close proximity, which can result in a big boom if you're not careful. Uh, Mm -hmm. It also is uh, crucial to use the right equipment. So the metal of the still needs to be rated for food grade alcohol contact. And if it's not, heavy metals from the still could actually leach into the alcohol, which, you know, can in turn 
cause you all sorts of problems. Uh, and it's also possible to accidentally turn your corn mash into methanol, which can cause blindness and even death. So, which is crazy those, because it sounds like an old wives' tale, but like I understand. Okay, this is technically possible, and yeah, you. I guess you. Could, I guess you could blind yourself with moonshine. You can literally blind yourself. Yeah, that's uh, and and people back in the the old backwoods days definitely did. So those who oppose this measure also point out that the federal law is just nothing to fool with. I mean, such opponents argue that those who want to see hobby distilling made legal should focus on getting a bill through Congress first. Have there been any efforts to do that? Actually, there have. So uh, a group called the Hobby Distillers Association had been lobbying to legalize hobby distilling on the federal level. Uh, They appear to run out of funding for now, but there were efforts like uh, H.R. 2903 in Congress. That was the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act of 2015. And um, S. 1562, that would have, among other things, legalized home distilling. There was actually pretty strong bipartisan support for both these bills, but they just failed to make it out of committee. Now, Anna, you tuned into the public Zoom meeting for uh, for this bill, the, the public hearing. Did you pick up anything interesting from watching it? Yes. So in case our listeners aren't familiar, the state legislature has gone remote in New Hampshire, which means all of the public hearings are happening via Zoom and the public can participate remotely. So we the Interesting thing is nobody from the public showed up to talk about this bill. It's kind of flying under the radar. But the bill sponsor, Rep. Scott Wallace, testified in favor of the bill. The committee members seemed fairly concerned over people poisoning themselves, making methanol or one of these other, you know, blinding chemicals. And basically they were like, "Eh, I don't know if this should be safe. But Rep. Wallace said homebrewers are drinking what they make. So they're going to be picky. And also from what he was saying, if you bring a cup of something poisonous up to your face like that, you're not going to drink it. It'll it'll like Mm. burn your eyes. So and the other thing is when you read books that teach you how to distill, they really emphasize the importance of disposing all but the quote unquote heart of the distillation batch, which should be free from toxic chemicals. And it's, it's, you know, it's they, people who do this at home know that, okay, when it first starts out, you, you have to be getting rid of these chemicals. The other interesting thing is someone from the New Hampshire Liquor Commission showed up and they were neutral on the bill, which personally hmm. I found a little surprising because I assumed that given New Hampshire's stranglehold on the sale of liquor, I thought that maybe they'd be a little bit like, eh, it's illegal at the federal level. We don't know about regulating it, blah, blah, blah. But they they said, you know, if someone's doing illegal distilling at this point, you know, we, we'd probably get notified and investigate it and we could handle it. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Now, if you want to voice your opinion about this, but you missed the public hearing for the bill, uh, is it too late or is there another way to make your voice heard on it? It is not too late. And this is something I think is useful for people listening to know. We're talking a lot about public hearings and this opportunity, particularly to testify virtually right now. But you don't just have to show up at a public hearing. You can email, call your legislators, send them snail mail even. And this bill is going to be coming up for a vote because every bill in the New Hampshire House and Senate goes up for a vote for the full body at some point. It doesn't ever just sort of get squirreled away in committee like we talked about happened at the federal level with those bills. So that means this is your chance. If you really care about this either way, you could choose to contact your legislator or also contact legislators on that committee who are ultimately in the coming days and weeks going to have to make a recommendation on this bill. And we've seen in the New Hampshire legislature, the committee recommendations carry a lot of weight because 
there, there are thousands of bills that go through in, in the two year period. And I'm sorry, but these people are working for $100 plus mileage. They're working on their own committee bills. They not, probably aren't going to be able to read word for word every bill that is coming up for a vote. So they're going to look to what did the committee say? So you can also, like I said, target those committee members in terms of saying, you know, I really feel this. I think this. Okay. So you can use our website to find out who represents you in the state legislature to contact them. And you can follow the fate of this bill along with other legislation regarding beer, wine, and liquor on our topic page that is called Beer, Wine, and Liquor. That about wraps it up for our discussion of HB 416. So I think you know what time it is, Mike. Only in New Hampshire. All right. So this segment is a feature of something that's unique to New Hampshire that you probably haven't heard about. Some of our fun facts, like the fact that our legislators only get paid $100 plus mileage every year, which is $200 every two years, which is a true fortune. So today I want to talk a little bit about New Hampshire's iconic gold state house dome. And if you've ever been to Concord, you see it rising above the city. It's very dramatic. It's been refinished a couple times. It's got more sparkly over the years. I want to ask specifically, Mike, do you know what bird is on top of the dome? Well, uh, logic tells me that it should be the purple finch, but I'm guessing it's not. I mean, I would also like to imagine that someone can do a musical number about a debate that happened at one point. I'm imagining Benjamin Franklin talking about turkeys, but it is, in fact, an eagle. It's a wooden eagle, and it was added in 1818. It's six and a half feet tall. It has a hinged head and wings with pegs, and the head was turned left to symbolize the eagle of war. Oh, that's horrifying. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's this is the best part. So from the New Hampshire Almanac, I found this wonderful quote. So appropriate ceremonies presided over by Governor Plumer were marked by a series of toasts, one of which was the American Eagle. May the shadow of his wings protect every acre of our united continent and the lightning of his eye flash terror and defeat through the ranks of our enemies. So <laughs> live free or die, baby. <laughs> yeah, the New Hampshire Eagle, it, it does not mess around. And so I was also like, what do you mean? Turned left to symbolize the eagle of war. And then this guy has this quote about eyes flashing terror and defeat through the <laughs> ranks of our enemies. So th- this is a thing. And in the U.S. presidential seal as well, there's been changes in terms of whether the eagle faces to the left, where the eagle claws typically hold uh, arrows, or if they turn to the right, where they usually hold an olive branch in their claws. Hmm. So it it did ultimately change at both the federal level and on the state house. So the state house replaced the eagle in the 1950s with a metal replica, which includes lightning rods connected to grounding wires, since I can imagine that it gets struck by lightning when it's a metal bird sitting on the top of a building. And so its head is now turned to the right to symbolize peace. Uh, And this, well, this is interesting. It was like a whole trend because President Truman also changed the presidential seal in 1945 to turn the head from the left, the eagle of war, to the right, the eagle of peace. So there's been some conspiracy theories that the United States has changed their presidential seal left or right, depending on if we're on war or not, and did a little research on that. And it's it's that's not really what happens. Like I said, 1945, they did change it. That was after World War II, but it wasn't ever a conscious decision related to the United States officially being at war. I will say 
after learning this, I do wonder if at some point some state legislator is going to be like, no, we need to turn the eagle's head to the right again. We need our democracy is under attack. I could definitely see someone proposing a bill for that. Another funny little story. So President Truman was in a car at one point, or a train car, I should say, with Winston Churchill from Great Britain. And Truman is explaining that he had turned the eagle's head on the seal to the olive branch. And Churchill said he thought the eagle's head should stay on a swivel. I think that's another thing, too. You know, maybe we should make the uh, eagle on the top of New Hampshire be able to rotate around so we can decide if we're looking for peace or war. There you go. Yeah. Just make it like a weather vane. Just let it be kind of constantly. Oh, that actually cool. sounds even scarier. Yeah. Honestly, a six and a half foot tall, like hundreds of pounds weather vane. That could. Yeah, I, that's a recipe for just truly striking terror into visitors to the Capitol. Indeed, as it was intended. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Uh, You can find out more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd like to thank the Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar. Hey, that's me. And lastly, thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be a part of what makes New Hampshire by the people for the people.